Hello, Fritty Dashi listeners. In this episode, Lauren and I discuss the popular browser game Wordle, which was a worldwide phenomenon and yet somehow escaped notice when it came time to list the best games of 2022. We also discuss the way some video games work their way into the daily and weekly rhythms of our lives, and why those games often find themselves on the outside or on the fringes of what gets to properly be called a video game. Whether you're a Wordle master or merely a dabbler, we think this fun little game has a lot to say about how we integrate games into our social lives. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the Fritty Dashi Podcast. I am Nicholas and I am here with Lauren. Lauren, say hello to the lovely people. Hello to the lovely people. I am Lauren and I am here with Nicholas. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, this is like, it's like the mirror universe of the podcast. It is a mirror universe. Sorry, I always do this. Uh, we wanted to thank you all for joining us. Uh, we also wanted to remind you that we have a Patreon where you can sign up at the $5 tier for bonus episodes. And you can also sign up at advanced levels for even more wonderful content like transcripts, um, advanced proofs of our book chapters, all sorts of really cool stuff. So if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in, or if you just want to continue with today's conversation, go on over to patreon.com forward slash foodie So today, Lauren, we're going to be talking about words. Words. Specifically, wordly words. Word, wordly, words. yeah. Wordle. 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 Which is like squirtle, but with words. No, yeah, it's actually but it's not like Wordle Squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I guess just uh, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, how how much have you played just like regular like word games, like word finds, like crosswords, like just crap so when, like that? Yeah, for me. So when I was a kid, I ended up playing. I played a lot of these because my mom really likes crossword puzzles. Yeah, I had a, either a high vocabulary or my mother indoctrinated me and we waited in doctor's offices just forever that. I like loved guessing the words. I liked being able to know how the word was spelled, but have no idea what it means. Yeah. Um, and kind of, and especially like when you're a kid, I think that's what was like exciting. I also played a lot of Scrabble, like at the yeah, like my yeah, my yeah. dad's like friends parties where we'd go and visit, and then that's always like the game of choice was like Scrabble because I think it was like a game of how to test your intelligence without being like charades or like you know it was a very introvert game. Right. Like you're not yeah, going crazy. Yeah. Pictionary is also almost too much because now you can make fun of people. So like Scrabble is like the get to know you game. Well, yeah, because with Scrabble, yeah. you're almost kind of like playing your own game alongside other people. It's not so much that like you're playing against. I mean, you can yeah, you're not strategically really... play against them, but not really. Yeah. And those once you finally can start to strategically play against them, I think that's when like people start to be like, OK, we shouldn't be playing this with you. Yeah. And I think like that's kind of the culture of like these like word games. Yeah. I would say for me, 
as like an individual, I actually played like I think three or four Wordles. I think I have only played four. <laughs> I, I I'm a I'm a regular Wordle player. I'm a Wordle I'm a Wordle Grandmaster. If there are Grandmasters, my Elo. Oh my god! My, my Wordle Elo is very high. Um, mostly because so like, and this is something that we'll get into because we're going to talk about sort of like the way things figure figure into like daily rhythms. But you know, when I was a kid, my primary experience with you know various word games was like you know my mom would buy those like really cheap, crappy like newsprint collections of like word finds that they sell at the grocery store, and she would do those constantly. But for me personally, like I would always play so at the the dentist office where I, I went as a kid like they would always have highlights magazine like in yes. the waiting room that's what and, i was thinking of i just couldn't remember the name of it and i hate going to the dentist so when i was ever i was at the dentist like to distract me i would always do two, i would always like do two things in the highlights magazines i would do the like the, the pictures where you're supposed to like find yes. things in the pictures and i would do the cheap crappy crossword yes okay in highlights. we were secretly the same kid growing up which i think yeah. is really at least in the doc <laughs> dentist or doctor's offices yeah. and then i had a younger sibling and so i had to go for myself but then it's like they never were able to schedule our appointments so yeah. then i had to do it like again and i remember going to these and having the highlights magazine and then realizing it was the same one and then like that's my writing in that magazine like yeah. i was like dang it um, so yeah, so funny. so for me, like I play a lot of Wordle because um, I get up really early in the morning. I usually get up around six, um, and the reason for that is because um, I try to do any of the work that I have to do for like myself. I also edit the podcast in the morning on on usually on Mondays, um, sometimes on Tuesdays if I'm not feeling it on on that week's Monday. Um, but like initially I'm generally kind of groggy and not really all there. So I'll like make my tea in the morning. And then when I first sit down on my computer, I'll do the wordle as a kind of way to kind of like wake up my brain. So that way I'm not just completely, you know, zoned out of everything that I'm doing. And so that's why I, so the reason why I bring that up is because like, for me, the game really sort of fits into sort of like these daily patterns that I have. And also, you know, you can see that with, you know, the way that, you know, you and I are talking about sort of our experience of word games in the past. Like, you know, your mom is really into crossword puzzles. So it's like integrated into your relationship with her. Or like, you know, when I do the crossword puzzle at the dentist's office, because I'm terrified, you know, that's a thing that I would always do that is a habit, even though it's not quite as regular as like being daily or weekly, it still was this consistent thing. And yeah, it's so your like every sixth month habit or for like every three months, right, with a sibling. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's something that's very consistent. I think what's interesting is that unlike these games that I played when I was a kid that were like consistency games, right, or games that I've shared, it's yeah. like I have actually, like, as a player, I have started to play games that like I I don't want to be like I don't share with others because that's not true, but yeah. I share them in a different way, exactly, right? Like yeah. I'm not playing Dragon Age side by side with someone anymore. Well, because I would play that with my sister and, and she would be like my social companion. Yeah. Like, I'm playing it differently. So like there's this really interesting, I think, comparison you're drawing with like word games are this consistent routine. It's like a routine yeah. type of, I don't know, advantage that like I don't just... Well, I guess I, I was about to go into MMO kind of like things. But we don't. Have no, to talk about I think that. I think that's an apt comparison. Go there. No, because I was I, for me, I was like trying to say that like I know once again. So I've I've talk, spoken about this in the past, but like I am neurodivergent. So like the the issue of having a routine, right, is yeah. something that is very hard for me. And the fact that I do have a routine is indicated by this calendar that I buy myself every year, as cheap but as pretty as possible, which usually means it comes from Daiso or Target. 
Yeah. And Daiso is cheaper than Target. So if it comes from Target, it's I've had a very busy like, <laughs> you know, time. Um and splurging the, on the on the calendar. Splurging <laughs> on my calendar, this like four dollar paper calendar hung on my wall or on the fridge or whatever. And I have stickers. And every day I do the thing, like the one thing that I'm like, you are gonna freaking routine this, right? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna do this, Lauren. I put a sticker and it's like a happy Daiso sticker. I've got tacos, I've got <laughs> cotton candy, I've got bear heads, like like little bears, like yeah, stickers, yeah, yeah. Uh, mushrooms. Um it's like funny a, because you so when we when we did an episode on gamification, you were very critical of gamification. I am super yet, critical. And of yet you literally gamified your I schedule. do literally gamify everything. <laughs> because it's not actually gamification, it's systemification. Okay. It's systemizing. So like I have created a system and whereby I which like I need that reward mentality. But the yeah. more I well, this is not an episode on neurodivergence and how I believe that people who are neurodivergent can make better game experiences because we have to experience our own lives as a game. Uh <laughs> <laughs> this is actually talking about the routine yeah. uh, of Wordle, right? Yeah. Having to do a Wordle every day. Well, there, I just said it. Having to do the Wordle. It becomes like this task that my brain is like, ooh, now that I have to do it, it's like rushing, like, mm, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But so for me, what's interesting is like Final Fantasy 14, right? When I was going to say it's playing an MMO is like the same routine. You go on, you play your daily roulettes, right? Every single day, you do your dailies. And for me, like, I think that for the same reason an MMO, I can't, I cannot log every, in, in every day. It's not that I don't want to log in. Yeah. Is that for some reason it's like, I just don't log in. I forget about it. I'm like, man, I need to do my dailies. But even when I started in 14 and I wanted to do my dailies, like it was a trudge. And it's the yeah. same way with Wordle is that I think my friends, I can't say my friends didn't play Wordle. That's totally inaccurate. Everyone's playing Wordle. They just yeah. didn't include me because they knew that like it would stress me the f out if yeah. I was... Yeah having to be included in like, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? And I'm like, no, I, I have done nothing. I have one sticker because I did this one thing. Don't make me put a second sticker. That's too many stickers. <laughs> well, it's weird because one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the way in which they're like, this is a relatively recent phenomenon where you have games that are sort of like embedded within or sort of like closely linked to social media and the way social media structure interactions with other people. And Wordle is a really good example of this because Wordle is even designed in such a way that it can have this very like iconic thing that you can share. Like, you know, you finish doing it and you have this like iconic like set of cute like squares, sorry, colored squares that you then just like paste into whatever social media platform you, you want, be it Twitter, be it, I guess people don't do this on Tumblr, but it's, it's very common on Facebook as well. And you and someone else who plays Wordle can look at that and recognize it immediately what it's saying. I, I remember that, seeing that. And I literally was like, what has happened on my Twitter feed? Like, what the <laughs> hell is happening? <laughs> I, who, who took over Twitter? It literally my whole feed for a while because I'm in games. And so obviously everyone plays like the latest game. So I tend to see like, right, everyone was playing Endwalker. There were a bunch of just a spoiler, spoiler, spoiler content. Like literally yeah, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. the images that are like click to see spoiler. And I was like, wow, there's like 15 of these in a row. Like. Like, I should probably stop being on Twitter. I literally can't engage. And with Wordle, it was like everybody, especially being a narrative too, right? So everyone's like playing Wordle. I was like, I don't, I think Twitter is broken. Like, you know what? You know, like people have joined a cult. That's yeah, weird, they joined like, a cult. The GOP was right. We're getting hacked. I was like, okay, well, it can't be that one. Like, I was like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. Like, it was such a social, I don't know. Well, it was a social phenomenon. And yeah, a social takeover. That's what it felt like to me as a non-Wordle initiate, a non-Wordle light, if you will. Well, and it's also very different from like the experience of doing a daily crossword, because generally speaking, 
like those are pretty solitary activities. You're you're doing it for yourself. You're self motivated. Whereas Wordle has this weird like social motivation as well and like semi-competitive because you know you can do it in fewer or you know more guesses um also like people get you know can but but not necessarily like in an antagonistic way but more sort of in like you know you see your friend you know post their wordle for the day and you're like oh crap then i and it reminds you that maybe you didn't do it that day or like you know ah, i could do yeah actually and i wanted to ask you about that because like okay so for me wordle was incredibly competitive because a lot of like my friends and in game dev like are very into pvp sort of like just yeah. shooters in general so wordle became this like pvp social like word game how many like counts could you get in like oh i got it on first try or i got it on yeah, second yeah. right so it was yeah. very competitive but i wanted to ask you as someone for myself who's never played word with words with friends yeah 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 I, i've never really been in i never did facebook gaming like yeah even, so like how so how does it compare or what was the difference between so them? like okay so for those of you who aren't familiar like this is not a new phenomenon so like zynga in particular is really well known for making these kinds of games like farmville and the one that lauren just mentioned words for, for words with friends uh which is basically a Scrabble ripoff, and they were sued because it's a Scrabble ripoff. <laughs> um, but what's fundamentally different about that is that sort of the with Wordle, like there's still that sort of self motivation factor. Like there's the interaction with other people, but it's not direct. Whereas with games like Farmville and Words with Friends, you're literally playing against and with other people in this app that is then built into Facebook, and that is, I think, is an important distinction because the the sort of the social interaction is more direct in that instance whereas it's more indirect when it's when it's a a function of just like seeing things that are posted on social media and then feeling a particular way about it because you could also just not do anything whereas when it comes to games that you're sort of like actively collaborating with other people online like the game doesn't really progress unless both people are sort of like directly invested in what is going on. And that is really a fundamental difference. But the thing is, they're also like, we see sharing mechanics, broadly speaking, outside of social media as well, or sort of sometimes integrated with social media. Like um, there's a feature in, um, place, in PlayStation Share, PS Share, where like you can literally take screenshots and they will immediately post to social media, be it Twitter, which is where I usually see them, but I also have seen them on, of all places, Tumblr. I don't know how that works. <laughs> oh, I think I know the issue. I use PS Share all the time, but I actually yeah. use it for recording videos and then I yeah. unlist them on my own personal YouTube account for kind of like research purposes. And they just, it's a direct integration. I think what's interesting okay. is that the YouTube one is strange in that you're able to like edit your caption, edit your tags and your description all from within the PlayStation interface. Yeah. But then your video is just the raw PlayStation video footage. It's not edited or anything. Yeah. So it definitely feels like a social way to like share your video. Yeah. But you don't share, well, you could share a video to Twitter. The Twitter length, right? Like yeah. an encapsulation would be just way, it just takes way too long. <clears throat> yeah. Well, um, plus like Twitter videos are limited to two and like roughly two minutes a little it's roughly two, two minutes. minutes no exactly yeah. versus like in youtube you can be like this is a three three hour scene um <laughs> no and it'll tour. just be uploading on your playstation while you're playing the game which i think is kind of fascinating it yeah. does make the game run slower yeah. um just <laughs> as, as, it, as, as it should uh but it, it also like um but it doesn't actually hinder it too much i never really thought about 
that before is a PS share is like the social, like a social sharing because I don't truly, I don't use it as a social feature. But I, then again, like I don't use a lot of social features as social features. So. Well, I mean, what I'm trying to, well, actually, because I kind of want to tease out some of the similarities, but then also some of the differences. So it's right, like, yeah. Because one of the things that I was thinking of in writing up the, the, the notes for this episode is like, okay, so the way in which you sort of like share your results on you know like social media for wordle is that fundamentally similar to or is that different from say like the way in which like achievements are visible on like xbox live or on playstation network like are those similar things or are those different things what do you think i don't know i was gonna say i think they're different one is about sharing an experience so you can talk about it now if we look at and let's like look at this two categories right nicholas is asking what are the difference and similarities between sharing a game experience you've had on playstation we're gonna use that as an example because i just until recently right had finally got an xbox game account in the year of our (laughs) lord 2023 uh which is this year for anyone listening in the future (laughs) or the past um <laughs> okay right i'm in my playstation mindset so as you can see anything is possible um so we're going to take what is the difference between sharing something that's an experience on playstation versus i think sharing wordle and yeah. i would say that for me the fundamental i have a difference i i'm sure you'll find a similarity but for me the difference is sharing a wordle was kind of like a status and it was so much, not so much an achievement as it was a like, look at how I've succeeded. Look at how I failed. Uh, in my case, it was look at how I cheated so that I didn't fail. <laughs> look um, at how I looked it up online. <laughs> look at how I looked it up online because it was like wrong, 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 wrong. Yay. Uh, that's what my wordles looked like. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I only had one like that because once I did that once, I was like, wow, I feel like a cheater because I was a cheater. Yeah. Um, I felt like how I was and I didn't like it. But second is that this is like competitive. I felt like when I was sharing a Wordle, it was both to include myself in a discourse that I didn't belong uh, as a person. This is personal feeling, right? So I'm a personal player. Um, And I second, I was like trying to see if I was better or worse or like my friends. And I think that there is this fundamentally like kind of social comparison aspect that I am just not, it's not that I'm not trained to see it. It's that, you know, I don't want to compare myself to others. So world is about let me compare this, right? It was a comparison kind of like mentality for sharing, yeah. right? And a competition. So comparison and competition versus like when I share, say, a Dragon Age video from PlayStation or I share God of War, that's more like, hey, look at my personal experience. And it might be the same as yours, especially like in this linear campaign, but look at how my character is different because I had to, I got to create my character. Yeah. Or look at how I chose to go through these scenarios. It's very personal. It's very individual, right? Yeah. There's yeah. no collective around it other than the community of Dragon Age being like absolutely loving and supportive on Twitter and on Tumblr. Um, like, and we kill all the naysayers, pew, pew. Uh, and like but no being loving supporting so i can share that and then i'm like oh my gosh that's so cool i actually did this or wow like i can't believe you got that facial combination or you know like it's a lot more about like building each other up whereas i think wordle is just like comparative enough that it like leads into the darkness of like yeah actually actually, the 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 darker side is something that i kind of want to to point to so like i mean not to toot my own horn too much, but I'm really good at it. But I'm really good at it because I am a words person. Like I spend 90% of my life, 
I, I literally train wow, I'm, I'm, I'm to be a not guy a who talks person. about words. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> so, kidding. I'm kidding. And no, so, but continue, yeah. And so as a result, like, uh, and you can even see it sort of in the way in which I play, because I don't actually try to guess based upon like what I think it's going to be that particular day, but I use basic linguistic strategies, you know, around like, you know, vowel and consonant combinations. And so as a result, I can usually get it in three or four guesses. Um, but the thing is, like, there is a, a way in which, like, I have this one friend who, who shares their Wordle every single day on Facebook, and they're very smug about it. <laughs> and it's really kind of kind of annoying. And interestingly enough, what it made me think of, this is going to seem like a total non sequitur, but I think they are related, is the way in which, like, back in WoW during Wrath of the Lich King, which is the last um expansion that i played in its entirety i only played a little bit of cataclysm and hated it and and that's when actually i canceled my account um but back in wrath of the lich king i remember there was this point where like there were raids for like ulduar and for ice crown where like if you like they would do pickup raids but you wouldn't be able to get into the pickup raid unless you like linked the achievement for having already done the raid and so there was this weird like elitism baked into what was essentially just like a pugged raid which is sort of insane that it's, that it's then going to be this like elitist thing and that was specifically linked to the accumulation of achievements and that's what the, sort of the comparison that i wanted to draw it back to is then the achievement is not then, you know, because there are people who like, you know, trophy hunters, people who like want to get all the achievements in the game, but that is very personally motivated. Whereas in this instance, the achievement is something that you then sort of flash to other people to sort of convince them of something about yourself in the same way that sort of like, I have run into pe like, I don't share my wordles at all. I just do it for myself. And but people who do share, generally speaking, I don't have a problem with, but I have run into these occasional individuals who kind of use it as this like, weird elitist sense of superiority which is strange because it's yeah. a browser game <laughs> no I, I know like that yeah browser games aside like i think elitism elitism does not need a browser or a true simulated experience like i think elitists don't need anything they're just themselves and they will just act that way yeah but i'm kind of curious like can we kind of talk about and tease out what you're just really briefly before I want to move in more into like the mechanics of Wordle and how it is as a game. Yeah. Right. I'm actually curious to that Wrath of the Lich King comparison that you're making. Yeah. Um, and I had to stifle myself. None of you saw it, but I was like, you're one of those people. Like you just got <laughs> off at Cataclysm. I was one of the people that came back because of Cataclysm. So like, that's really interesting. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I really was. I actually, so I did Watlick and then yeah. I, I actually got off before the raid thing because I could kind of see the darkness. And so I was like, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. And then I actually never raided in Watlick. I just kind of played it. And then I took off. Uh, like, so I stopped paying for my subs. But I was also like, you know, I didn't have all the money in the world to be paying for this. So I was like. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of took a break. When Cataclysm happened and I saw the world get destroyed, I was like, I want that. And so I immediately <laughs> rebought like the expansion and the flying, right? Because that's when they introduced flying mounts. I, I, man, I ate the crap out of that. I was like, Cataclysm was my, my X pack. I got back in. And then once again, money. Uh, I wanted to play Legion and then right fell off. Or, no, it was, dr 
Mm, you know what? I don't know the order anymore. I'm not going to lie to you. I think it was. Okay, I can I can go through it if you want. So you have classic. You have Burning Crusade. You have Wrath of the Lich no, King. Wrath... You have Cladic- Cladic- Cataclysm. You have Mr. Cataclysm. Pandar- oh. Pandaria Legion. It was Pandaria Legion and then Draenor. Oh no, sorry, Draenor Legion. It's Draenor. Draenor Legion. Legion. Yeah, sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. No, it's fine. Yeah. Draenor oh, okay. Legion and and then. Uh, then I must have. Fa- I fell off. Battle at for Azeroth, Shadowlands, yep. and now Dragonplate. No. Yep. Okay. Great. 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 Jesus so for Christ, all of you know, so yeah, there's so many. Like all of you needed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you came to Final Fantasy 14 after all of this, like, wow, categories. Anyway, I wanted to tease that out for the reason that I never thought about how a Wordle achievement could be kind of comparison all the way back into you need these achievements in order to right participate in that pickup raid. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, like, what for you actually drew that comparison between the two? Like um, was it was it just a similarity of elitism like in Wordle or was it more of the competitive or the well, comparison? It's, because it, it's it's the way in which sort of like the game both then works within sort of like a predetermined social situation. So in the case of the raid scenario, there is like a culture of like the people on my server where and and this was true on other servers as well, but where like there was this point like it was often difficult to get into rating precisely because no one would like take you and like hold your hand through it or at least like help you learn things right they they literally expected you to already know how Mm -hmm. to do something which is sort of silly because there's always going to be players who have never done it before yeah and so then like the the achievement then functions within sort of this pre-established culture and social order on the server because like the, the sort of the way in which the achievement is being used is not determinative of the elitism the elitism is determinative of how the achievement is being used and so then you see a similar thing with people who are like using their wordle results in this particular way where like they wordle did not turn them into elitist assholes they are elitist assholes and sort of are using this as sort of like an emblem or a badge of that elitism in the same way that within the culture of my particular server, they're using this specific, because the thing is like, there's other ways, like other ways you could determine whether or not someone is a good healer or a good DPS or a good tank. There are many, many ways you could determine this, but they used that one because it's a status symbol. And so then that to me is sort of the fundamental similarity is sort of using this game accomplishment as a status symbol. And that's kind of unique and I think a little strange, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that is actually really unique and strange. But like now that I can see your comparison, I mean, because we were kind of talking about the similarities of like how we feel Wordle came about, I think this is a great stepping point into this next phase of the episode where we're going to go in and talk about actual Wordle, right? The mechanics and the similarities of that. Well, maybe we're going to talk about like the sort of the situation of Wordle. Like, yeah, the the mechanics, the the, the situation. It's the situation of Wordle, but I think it's understanding how Wordle exists. Like you kind of dissected that server's social, right? Norms and statuses around that, I think is a very strong comparison for Wordle. So I'm very excited to kind of tip into that frame of reference because we need to start with how Wordle functions as a game 
right? Just kind of like how raiding as a feature of, right, this larger game, right? That could honestly, raids are, could be a browser game, right? You could pick up a raid with your friends on a browser and go do it, right? Because it's a feature. Well, theoretically, you you need a lot of memory to do that because browsers are very memory. No, no, no. (laughs) Hardware aside, (laughs) mentally, you could do it. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Okay, so one of the things that kind of fascinated me about Wordle especially at the end i had this thought at the end of 2022 which is when we actually decided to to cover this which is that it is and i would say bar none like one of the largest like games of 2022 and yet when it came to like all the year end lists and like the game awards and all that stuff that happens in december that sort of determines like you know what the character of video ga- of the video games were in that particular year wordle was really kind of absent and so i was thinking about this like why is it that this huge game absolutely huge game is just kind of not really allowed to be uh like a uh, an actual like game game no i totally i totally get it it's really hard for me to like look at i don't know to look at wordle and to look at how you want to describe it and then you're like it's not a game game like i get it i was like i struggle to find the words because there's nothing that's not there's no such thing as a real game okay? yeah, yeah yeah there's no such thing as a fake game all games are games right yeah um but it's something that it's one of these the biggest games of 2022 and yet somehow it's not actually considered in the same class right of yeah. video games and is it because yeah. it is in a browser right like or like i'm saying or i'm starting I, to get ahead of myself yeah, but yeah, i think yeah, that yeah. it's now is it because of and it's dot 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 and you could just list a ton of reasons <laughs> right where you're trying to make an excuse for this type of behavior or perception? Well, I think it's really the social situation of the game. And I think there are a couple of specific things that we can look at as kind of like indicators of what that social situation is. One is a sort of broad popularity. There is this sort of perverse thing that, and you see this all the time in like discourse about video games, where like if a game is really popular amongst people who are not considered to be gamers, and I have giant scare quotes around this word, we're setting that aside for the moment. Like somehow they don't get to be games for, for like, there's a lot of, especially with like mobile games, you see a lot of condescension that is directed towards them because somehow they don't exist. They're, they're not properly situated. So, yeah. so if you think about Wordle, like who publishes Wordle, the New York times. Well, now it's the New York times. Yeah. Now. Well, yeah, but it was very, it was a very quick turnaround from when it was first released to when it was. And most people know it through the, through New York times. They don't know it from its like original indie release. Well, what's interesting, okay, so here we go, though. Here's what's interesting. We're already seeing a sociological class divide in the yes. games industry yeah. here, is that for me, the New York Times bought it months after. Now, it may have been weeks, but, like, it felt, because game dev time is wibbly-wobbly and also very stretched <laughs> yeah, out, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, is that, like, one month feels like seven years sometimes. Well, this is so also I during remember, the pandemic, so there was And it's also pandemic. during the pandemic, so <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. no such thing as time. <laughs> I truly felt like the New York Times bought Wordle months after it. My friends had been playing it. The discourse had been starting it. Yeah. Like every single day. Oh my gosh, this has been going on forever. It was almost as pervasive as Pokemon Go, but minus the whole you have to run around for that one Snorlax and 20 people are all in this one gas station trying to find a Snorlax in like the bowels of summer in Florida. Yeah. Just for very specific, crazy, hot, sweltering weather. So you can feel that, okay? (laughs) 
feel that with me, feel that memory with me. Yeah. Now in this memory of Wordle, it's me using a hybrid workflow, going into the like into office during the Delta pandemic, trying not to go into office during the whole Delta outbreak. Um, also, Wordle is becoming a thing. Everyone's very competitive in my work face. Everyone's playing ping pong. And they're like, I beat you in ping pong, but like you can't beat me in Wordle. Like it was a like <laughs> wow. Cut back, okay. It's and the then suddenly, thing I've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> it's very nerdy. This is my work environment. And I can't do ping pong or Wordle. And I'm like, could I just maybe like, I don't know, sing in rock band? Because apparently rock band singing is great. No, Lauren, Lauren Secret Normie. Secret Normie. <laughs> Secret Normie in the game, World of Games. No, but like that's what I'm saying is there's already this class. The reason why I don't want to call it a class structure. And I'm going to say this uh, because I, you know, who likes classism? Nobody likes, I mean, unless you are a classist, nobody likes classism. Yeah. And the reason why I'm saying there's already some social stratums here is for me, I remember playing Wordle like, I'm not saying day one launch, but maybe day two where it was like, oh, do you guys hear this like indie game just came out? It's called Wordle what this indie game like this is how right game development this like class of, of people yeah. on the you know edge are yeah. suddenly we're playing it and then i think a week later someone was like my mom found wordle like it was like that kind of turnaround like yeah, that, and, <gasps> and, see but that see but that moment well like when it sort of exploded is really synonymous when it was picked up by the times yes and yes you started to see like yeah my mom playing it or like you know like my old classics friends from grad school who like i don't think have picked up a console video game since they were like five all of a sudden are talking about it constantly and i think it's in that moment that's when it really became a social phenomenon, not just yes. like a game phenomenon. Yeah. And I, I wanted to break that in the context of like, because I am not trying to put myself like in this like, oh, but I'm in the, the indie upper echelon first adopter Apple products or whatever class. Like that is not correct. But yeah. I think what you find in games, what you're alluding to, Nicholas, is there's like these social stratas or social norms where we're now looking at each other, Right. And going, this is a class of video games, right? It's this AAA, yep. so high quality. Yep. Okay, these are just like the peg below, right? And we've kind of talked about this in terms of, right, the AAA structure, AA, what makes a game indie or independent, yep. when a lot of, say, AAA quality games have actually only been made by one person, right? Or what is a indie game like Hades now actually becoming a AAA title with a massive fan base and now a sequel, the first yeah. time they've ever done a sequel, yeah. Right, which now is going into a franchise structure, yep. which is then very reticent of a very AAA, AAA, very AAA. Right, yeah. I mean it's a very AAA bold move, and like, and in, and in all like of those arguments aside, the Wordle phenomenon for me is actually something much deeper and more particularly interesting because it's not a game that we can, in our prejudice, go well. It's a video game, so X, Y, and Z. Yeah. No, this is Wordle. This is somebody everybody played, biggest game, and yet in our society, right, there is this divide, yeah, right? A, and now- a clear disconnect, yeah. It's a very clear disconnect. And so I think- you could, Yeah, so, so please go into it because I was like, this is just me kind of setting up, right, yeah. like what I'm mulling over or what I've been mulling over, right? I think the, the important element to add to all of that is that the way in which things, especially like cultural artifacts, get defined- 
has less to do with their actual like particulars, like whatever features or content they may have, and has far more to do with sort of like their social construction, the way in which like the people who sort of think of themselves as having particular identities or particular like experiences or subjective relationships to reality, however you want to define it, like they then sort of cohere an identity not just around themselves but also sort of the the artifacts or the objects that they accumulate around them and so um if, if you if anyone is interested there's a really great book about this sort of concept it's called art worlds it's by howard becker and he talks about this way in which like the the work of art like the art object this thing that is sort of elusive and has always been impossible to define and the reason why he claims it's impossible to define is precisely because people always take a formal approach to it they're trying to look at the art object and determine its artness based upon the thing whereas what he's trying to argue is that its artness derives from the social institutions like galleries and museums and schools and the people who then act as like gatekeepers or arbiters of taste and so then the analogy of that to the you know the video game industry is the designers but it's also the journalists it's the critics etc cetera, etc cetera. I did not say this in the comments of my notes when we were talking about this because I wanted to say it to your face. <laughs> oh, God. I, <laughs> no, I love Howard Becker's Art Worlds. It is a phenomena into itself for me. Yeah. Growing up in a – I'm a very – it was a very art-forward household. It's a very poetry-forward household, yeah. right? Um, and for me – my family being right, it's kind of disconnected society, mix mash of like cultures and you know, all these different things. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. moving us from super Texas to super New England, <laughs> right? To super deep south. Yeah, now super, super I'm Missouri. Super, to, you know, super Missouri, very super, yeah. very miserable. Like going through all of the connections. And then I find myself at one of the prestigious literary schools for writing, oh, God. right? At the University of Iowa. Oh, and I'm saying it like that because it was very, clear to me that they're like look our society of writers is literary we're creating yeah. a craft of art yeah. with what makes true writing writing and no one's going to be reading science fiction anymore yeah and i have to say it like that because i was a genre writer yeah. and that's what it's called in literary terms by the way boys and boys and girls is that <laughs> um uh, <laughs> genre fiction is which is funny because everything's a genre yeah um is anything that is just not pure fiction yeah well because like, it's Okay, so it, yeah, like genre fiction then is sort of like in this marked territory. It's like the mobile game or the browser game or the indie game. Exactly. But then, but then if you like, but then it's like, okay, well, what is a game? What is just like a work of fiction? The unmarked version of those things, and that's actually the the for those of you who want to go to grad school, if you say like the unmarked term. Your your professor will just just themselves. <laughs> no, yeah, and then you will get an A. So as the Slytherins in the room here with the Ravenclaw, I'm just saying this yeah. is how to get an A. But 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 that unmarked term like fiction or game, like the thing is like those actually have discrete features. It's just they're invisibilized like we sort of put them into the background whereas with genre fiction with like horror with uh sci-fi with fantasy like then all of their features are foregrounded and so yes. but the thing is like but then it leads to this perverse set of circumstances where people can then compartmentalize and be like well that's not really a game that's a mobile game that's not really a game that's a browser game that's a tabletop game it's like 
No, those are all games. But then the question we have to ask is like, okay, not only one, what is that unmarked game referring to, but also who is sort of who has situated themselves in a position where they get to determine what that is. Yes. And it is the deterministic perception, right, of these games that make them unmarked, right? And the reason why we're calling this out is because we look at Wordle and you feel like you know what it is. But for the purposes of this podcast, I hope you recognize that it is because of the perception, because of the society in which we look at a game and what are the elements of a game that we're putting to the background so that other types of games like, oh, well, mobile, the platform that it's on, the fact that you can move it around. Not talking about how Pokemon started as a mobile game because it was on the Game Boy Advanced. Like, does that mean Pokemon was a mobile game first? Yeah, that's that's weird. Like, so like handheld devices, why aren't handheld platforms considered mobile games? Because they're not. Exactly, they're not. And is it because they aren't on a smartphone? Which is weird because smartphones came after a console, like, you know, a handheld console. So it's all of this perception, right? Is who is determining what can and cannot be invisible, which can say, hey, this is the acceptable norm, right, of a game. And I think that's what's really interesting here is because despite the fact that Wordle is probably the top or most played game of 2022, the game awards, right, aren't going, Wordle is this incredibly defining, right, like piece of mobile. It's not even considered a mobile game because it's on nope. a browser, yeah. right? So now it's even further removed. But not just like, right, uh, Nicholas was saying, it's not every game is, well, this is a Sony game or this is an Xbox game. Much as this could be another topic, but much as Microsoft and PlayStation want you to have these, this is a Sony experience and this is what a Microsoft experience will be. Much as these corporations would like this to be, um, we're not going to define things by platform, right? This is a horror game, right? This is a survival yeah. game, yeah, right? And I think this is a shooter, and that's just like a sh- right? But to yeah. say when you look at it like that, that doesn't mean that a Wordle player isn't like doesn't like horror, or that someone who plays Wordle or Words with Friends isn't also going to play like Bloodborne, you know? Like there's all of these different nuances that our society creates. So I think that it's just it's really fascinating to kind of see all this come together. So, right. yeah, I think th- I think there's a related issue here, too. So, like, we're starting to get into the question of, like, who are sort of like the tastemakers or like who gets to sort of like determine. But also there's we need to talk a little bit about, like, who gets excluded from these categories and why? Like, I mean, gamer is a similar situation. Like, gamer is kind of everyone. Everyone plays games in some capacity or another. But that term gamer is very narrowly circumscribed. Yeah. And I used to think that this was just a feature of like bitchy people online. But okay, so full disclosure, for those of you who don't know, I'm currently working on a UX certification. So I've been doing a lot of, you know, background reading on, you know, UX research and so forth. And there's this one blog that I came across on the UX Collective, and I'll link it if people are interested, in which... The, the designer in question was talking about how they primarily work on VR experiences for, as they said, arcade rooms. But I was like, okay, you can just say arcades. People know what an arcade is. But what I found really you know, interesting... an arcade that, room. A room yeah. dedicated to the arcade. Well, and I, I, think, I think I understood what he was trying to say, which is that, you know, there are a lot of places where there are sort of like dedicated like VR-like 
spaces that aren't mm -hmm. necessarily within like a specific like fully functioning like branded arcade mm -hmm. context like a Dave and Buster's or something like that. So, but the this article begins by talking about how like his specialty is designing for and he literally says non-players. And I was like what what is that? And, and then as I started to go through the article, in many ways, the non-player was sort of synonymous with the sort of like the, the non-gamer. I non love that you are just now bringing this article up to me right now because I'm like, I, we obviously, we, we have time in between this, but I'm just yeah. like... I'm sorry. What now? You your article. But yeah, no, it's, what? It's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I'm not going to talk much about the substance of the article because this is the thing that I found fascinating is that like even people who work within the industry, the person whose like entire remit is how do I think about games as they relate to people, the people playing them, is saying that there is this thing known as a sort of like a non-entity or like a non-gamer. And then there are all sorts of presumptions that come with that. And as you, and if you're interested in reading it, you can see this, like the idea that sort of like controls and mechanics need to be simpler because non-players can't possibly comprehend complex mechanics. Which, by the way, that's not actually how people understand mechanics. It's not how tutorials work. There's a lot of weird assumptions there. But the thing is, these assumptions really do exist. And it's not just that there is a kind of discourse about them. It's that the games themselves are being built in such a way that reflect these assumptions. And I find that crazy and fascinating. <laughs> that is, well, one, it is crazy and fascinating. But two, that is actually like kind of in the question that I really wanted to dig into is that who is perpetuating these states of affairs is that we have to recognize that we are this is going to almost sound, uh, I was going to say paternal or like, you know what I mean? Pa like a, a parent, like a parent would say it, not like yeah. maternal, paternal. Like, you know, it's going to sound like uh, there's a different word for it that I think is probably gender neutral, but probably not. Um, <laughs> yeah, English. Uh, <laughs> but we were raised, okay, all of us, we were raised in an environment, regardless of your age, in which the society around us thinks that there is a specific type of video game. Yeah, I'm going to say video game here because it can't just be game. It has yeah. to be video game. It has to be a visual and auditory experience that is akin to playing a video, which for everyone is like a YouTube. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. You all know what a video is. <laughs> um, which, right? is like, which is on the, the, the cathode ray tube. But this, this, uh, oh man, I love that. Sorry. Um, but I think that this is incredibly important to recognize that around us, we are raised, right? And we as humans want to be like belong to that society, right? And so when I brought up kind of the straciation to kind of harking back to what AAA is, AA is, end of indie, et cetera, is yeah. that it's really kind of about like if we we are part of the problem because we were raised where we believe that AAA is the highest quality of gaming for yeah. these invisible reasons of video gaming, video graphical fidelity, um, you know, how much, not just how much money it is, but hey, it appeals to a large subset of audiences. It has a mass market appeal. How many triangles does your game have? How many triangles <laughs> does your game have? How much, honestly, this is going to be funny. How much math does your game have? A game with yeah, more yeah, math yeah. is more AAA. Yeah. And that probably sounds very strange coming out of my mouth. But then also, right, there's a hierarchy of developer now. Whenever you go to a networking event, and I say now, but there's kind of always kind of been this way. 
um, is that there's always been a hierarchy in society, right? If, hey, if you went to like the president's ball, obviously the president is going to be the, the first fig, like he's going to be the, the big guy, right? Yeah. This is the United States president, by the way. No, you might hate him. You might not agree with him. And somehow you got an invitation and you're there, <laughs> but you already can go, I am entering this ball as, you know, Corvo from Dishonored and there's the president <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like yeah. you've got this inherency. I'm not meant to be here. Yeah, and yeah. you've got the, this is his event. Right. Yeah. And then all down that line, right, is now you've got your bodyguards, your his wife, right, the children. But now you've got everyone who's equal with him, the senators. You've got already your brain has created a social class that is going to somehow have to get you worked up. Right. And you understand the social ladder. And I, you translate this into games with, oh, I'm a AAA developer. Suddenly, for some reason, because you've been employed by a company. Right. Everyone's like, oh, my God. What is it like to work in AAA? And I have to agree though, right? Is that I'm a part of a problem in that it's not so much a problem as it there are huge differences for me working on a team of 300 people and 150, right? To when I was in indie development, working with seven or working with even 50, okay? Yeah. yeah. Because the amount of engineers and QA to the ratio of designers, like I've been on teams of designers as one. I've been on teams of designers as three. I've been on teams of designers of 70. So I think it's just like, and then everywhere in between, and it is different, right? And it does take more money to create a AAA, but to perpetuate that for some reason, a video game experience at this level, you see what I'm getting at, yeah. is inherently somehow higher or worth aspiring to. And I'm not saying if that is your aspiration, that's great, but it's not a ladder. It's not a, you climb from the drudges of, you know, indie <laughs> to now you get to work at someplace like super massive, right? Or super giant. And then you get... You keep climbing and suddenly, yeah, yeah. you know, you get to Ubisoft and Ubisoft is the prime jewel, which would just be terrible. Don't. Um, <laughs> and and there's nothing. I have lots of friends at Ubi, by the way. So or Ubi, Ubisoft. So yeah, uh, Ubi, remember, remember, it's Fingersoft. Yes. OK, so I, I do love that. Not Squaresoft, Fingersoft. <laughs> Fingersoft. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, man, that just occurred to me that soft was like the name because of software. OK, yeah. let's move on. Like from um, software, you, Squaresoft. You, okay, damn it. Wow. I, you look. Wow. wow. <laughs> I sometimes look at me. Sometimes I'm dumb. And I think that's I want to draw this para parallel because this is truly right. The perpetuation is that whoever wrote your article right probably like felt like they had to work their way up, but was also taught from someone who had that mentality, right? That said, hey, the players play AAA. Yeah. Non-players don't play AAA. They play words with friends. Yeah. And you create this immediate class of users who are somehow your mom or your grandma. And apparently not being able to tutorialize for that is somehow lesser than we don't need to tutorialize it because yeah. they could just look it up on Wiki. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of the desk. That was the original Destiny 2 model-ish yeah. in that like, they weren't trying to appeal to players who hadn't played Destiny 2 before, or Destiny, the franchise before. When okay. they started, that is what I'm going to say. They have gone through a huge rate, Gamba, et cetera. I'm not calling out any of the developers, right? This is just more a, I've done it. I've done it. When I was working on my my projects, I've gone, man, do we really need to tutorialize this? Because I would really <laughs> just like for them to look it up. And at the time, because I was raised in an environment, they're like, yes, you need to tutorialize how to punch someone. You're going to do it, yeah. right? They were like, we cannot assume that our player knows how to punch. And yeah. that was a really eye-opener for me. One, obviously, that's who I was raised by. But this UX guy was not. And I like yeah. saying raised because quite it is like, a, I like to think of myself as a sprout. So yeah. 
They well, are also, watering me, right, so, with knowledge. So in the interest of not necessarily calling out this individual, I think w- where they're coming from is actually a perfectly understandable impulse because the thing is <clears throat> what they're trying to do with their design practice is actually make gaming experiences as broadly available as mm-hmm. possible. And I think really th- th- there are two problems. One, there is a lack of vocabulary for like how to conceptualize a group of people who are traditionally excluded and or not really like thought of when it comes to sort of like designing particular experiences for particular players. But then in addition to that, there is the fact of that, the fact that like, you know, your average game designer, no matter what role they work in, whether they're an engineer, they're an artist, level designer, a narrative systems designer, creative lead, a marketer, whatever, like they tend to be people who play a lot of games. They tend to be people who play a lot of different kinds of games. So like their experience of like what you should and should not know when you come to a game initially is going to be wildly different from the person who like the last video they game they may have played was like a Frogger cabinet in an arcade back in 1989. But the thing is, that's the majority of people. And so the thing is, when you to sort of bring this back to Wordle, when you look at a game like Wordle, like its mechanics are extremely legible to that particular kind of individual. And so like that is really in many ways the brilliance of its design is it stems from the ability to step outside of a lot of those presumptions that designers often have when they like, like you know, as Lauren was just saying, like, you know, do we really need to turn this into a tutor- tutorial? And the answer sometimes is yes. Yes. <laughs> like you really do. No, And, and I, I think Nicholas is giving us a great wrap up here because I think the biggest thing that we're going to help answer right in the Patreon episode is digging more into the state of affairs and how we currently got there. But I want to kind of point out that I wasn't trying to super harp on the individual. It was just more like I am a part of the problem sometimes. Okay, I see what you're saying. Right? Is that even myself, right? Hey, we're making this title. I work in AAA. They've already been doing these things. And I need to recognize, right? I'm a big invisible tutorial person, right? If you've ever watched the Game Maker's Toolkit, that's how they call it. I call it organic tutorialization right? Or innate tutorialization where you're playing something that maybe even had a tutorial about it, like it had a blurb or something, but you used it so integrated in the mechanics, you didn't realize that you were using it exactly the way you should be using it because that's how integrated it was with the game. And I also kind of wanted to call out what you're saying, Nicholas, is that sometimes people were gamers in the 80s and 90s playing things like in the arcade because I took my parents to an arcade or to the National Video Game Museum in Frisco, Texas. We drove like two and a half hours or something to get there, by the way, because Texas is way too big. Too big, yeah. (laughs) And and we weren't central to it. And my dad and my mom were like playing the shit out of all those arcade games. They're like, man, I haven't done this in years. Because like, yeah, they haven't. But they were like playing the games like they had literally never left the arcade. I was very, I mean, I was very impressed because, I mean, they're my parents. Also because we never went to the arcade as a kid. Like, they watched me play, right? And I don't know if it's because they felt too old or also if games left them behind, right? Yeah. And I think that that was just really eye-opening for me to be like, look, Wordle appeals to this because it is a simplified, right, structure of the mechanics. But it doesn't mean that games can't be that, right, in the future, and I am glad that this guy is doing that article for it. But it's just I am sometimes, right? Yeah. When you get in your strata, I am the problem. 
So it's unfortunate that we're going to have to cut off the conversation there. But if you do want to hear more about those people who have gotten left behind, why the video games industry seems to have left them behind, we will be discussing that in depth on our Patreon episode, which will be coming out next week. And if you want to listen to that, you go over to patreon.com forward slash foodie and sign up at the $5 tier. You can also sign up at an advanced level for things like transcripts of previous episodes, as well as proofs of our book chapters. But until then, we want to thank you all for listening and hope you stay safe.